We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. This is Pete, joined by Darius. No Mike today. He's uh, traveling to Houston. And the Lakers put a hurtin' on the New Orleans Pelicans, despite jogging in the second half uh, to a 15-point win overall, up 35 at halftime, hit 15 threes in the first half. And let's start there, D. Um I, as a Laker fan, <laughs> I am not used to this at all. And from rewatching the game, one of the things that really stood out to me, man, is our our ball movement and spacing and just like our swing passing. Guys are starting to get a feel for each other. I just, I loved how we responded to the Knicks loss and came out that way. And I don't know, man, like seeing the offense in that look like that, it's been, I don't know, man, sky's the limit for this group. That sort of shooting performance is not normal for like any team besides sure. like maybe the Warriors to have that level of shooting in the same season in which the Lakers were the historically poor three point yes. shooting team that they were to start the year. It's it's sort of crazy. It doesn't seem like the same season at all, because in a way it's not and it's not the same team, even though they're dealing with the after effects of what that was with their current record. Mm -hmm. The thing about the shooting and just that point that you made about the ball movement. And it's funny because the game they played against the Knicks was that classic sort of like almost like nineties basketball version of things. Like it had even played out that way even more with like stylistically with like the way that Julius Randall was, was mm -hmm. playing too, right? Like, just this very 90s ISO heavy, like I'm going to attack this dude. We'll try to get things going in early offense. But if we don't, it settles into this half court slugfest, right? We, When the Knicks are at their best, we've seen different versions of this exact same team, you know, for the last yes. 30, 40 years. You know what I mean? It's just a very, yes. I really like the, the Knicks and we'll talk about them more as we get into the playoffs and whatnot. But like a very Knicksian uh, type of squad that's big and physical and New Orleans isn't quite like that. 
Yeah, it's it's like it's passed down through their DNA, right? Within the right. within it's the like structure Utah. of the organization. Utah is always going to grow some defensive rim protecting five that they're going to overrate with some stupid stat. It's going to be Walker Kessler now, sure. but they just regenerate like trade Gobert. Walker Kessler appears who used to be Greg Ostertag, who used to be Mark Eaton. It's just it's it's the way of yes. the NBA. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so what also stood out in contrast to that game is Troy and, and Malik in particular couldn't hit water if they fell out of a boat. To mm-hmm. steal a chickism, right? Like they couldn't throw a pee into the ocean. This game, Troy was fine, right? He hit like he hit a first half three and, he and two I out think of three he on his with, threes. Yeah, he yeah. was three out of five from the field, two for three from three. And and so Troy was Troy was fine, and it was good to see him bounce back. Malik didn't bounce back. He like I don't even know what you call that, right? Like he Vince Carter the dunk contest, <laughs> like yeah. He was hitting some shots, man. There's this whole other thing that Malik is able to do as a shooter. And he brings a level of spacing and gravity just based off of the style that he plays and the types of shots that he takes. And so defenses respect him regardless of whether or not the shot is going in. But when it does go in, the boost it provides to the Lakers offense is really unreal. And it would... That would be the case if he was hitting 40% of his threes. But on a game where he hit seven in the first half and a seven for 10 and finishes seven for 12, he only took two more threes the rest of the game because they literally treated him like he was Steph Curry Mm -hmm. out there. Like he was a marked man and he always had a dude right there in his hip pocket regardless of where he went. And that level of, oh my God, this dude... We have to mark this dude. Mm-hmm. And then the just like you said, the passing and the I'm seeking out a great shot rather than a good shot from so many of the other sort of connecting players. Austin and D'Lo even does this. Troy Brown does this a lot. Just that making of the extra pass. It was just beautiful offensive basketball. And, and they really did break New Orleans in that first half. They did. And I want to put a spotlight on D'Lo's passing uh, for a moment. Going back and watching that, a lot of the the threes, he's passing guys. You always talk about passing guys open. He had this on one of Malik's left wing threes. Most of the threes he hit were on the on the right side. But on one of his left wing threes, I forget who it was, set a a flare screen like right in the middle of the court. And Beasley kind of faded. And this is in semi-transition, faded to the left wing. And D'Lo pass the ball from the right wing, right near the sideline, little two-handed chest pass that was just in front of Beasley. And Beasley had his left hand out and the ball hit him right on the target where he wanted to catch it on his left hand. And Beasley hit it off of a jump stop, held his pose for a bit that I've been cold, but my my jumper's fallen tonight type of thing. And then just D'Lo's passing, man, uh, he's got a a net rating like around 15 since he's been uh, with the Lakers. He's been our our best plus minus guy. And he had this one pass in the uh, in the second quarter where he passed it to Troy ahead in the corner. And it was one of those pass aheads, just like uh, the one to Beasley, where like Troy wasn't quite to the corner, but the ball met Troy in the spot right when Troy was getting there in a way where it collapsed the defense. And we didn't make the shot until like two or three passes later. But because that initial pass compromised the defense, 
I'd love to hear from you, like what you're seeing from D'Angelo Russell in terms of hunting early opportunities, because he's been a big part of the reason why we've been really good in transition. And he's not somebody I think you normally associate with transition play, but he's looking to attack early and often. And I've always been a believer, D, that the more attacks on the basket you can launch in a 24 second period, the better. And he's getting us into it right away. So this is where you sort of dispel the myth that you have to be fast in order to be a fast breaking team. Mm -hmm. Right. And so a lot of times we think of like, oh, you're a great transition team you think of players like Deer and Fox or in the old school way, like John Wall and Russell Westbrook. And mm-hmm. these dudes were blurs with the basketball. They were those fast guys. Even if you gave them the ball and they're dribbling, they're running by defenders who don't have the ball. Like that shouldn't be the case. If if I have the ball, I should be slower than this other dude who is running as hard as he possibly can. But these dudes were one man fast breaks, like in their own way. And we see this with LeBron too, the way that he changes ends. It, and that has a great unreal. deal of value. It's just not the only way. It's just not, no, it's not the only way. And, and in fact, there is a recklessness to that style, a chaos inducing nature to that style that speeds up the game in a way that sort of generates, continues to sort of generate fast break opportunities, almost like the way that like an atom bouncing back and forth would like create energy, right? It's just <laughs> like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Like, like this is a perpetual motion machine and I've initiated the machine just by playing this sort of reckless style. And you can see that in like our swing passing, how it affects everybody. Totally. And so D'Lo though, He is a guy who he can play fast and he can push for sure. But the the thing that stands out to me about his passing is the in-between reads. It's the waiting a beat while something else moves moves outside of him. And then and then he's hitting the gap or he's throwing it a beat early. Like the passes that you described were the beat early pass, right? Where it's just like, oh, he sees this. The defense is leaning a certain way because they see the attack coming off of the dribble, but it's not an attack off for the dribble. Suddenly the pass is going over their head. But one of the passes that D'Lo also has in this bag is in not the full out transition play, but the semi transition play where you are, you are running and this is going to sound sound weird and or I'm going to try try to describe this the best way that that I can but when you're in transition defense and you see action in front of you and you're like I got to get back you're running hard right and you're trying to catch up to the play and when you're the ball handler you can sort of sense that you know you know how when you snap a picture and there's moving objects and then everything's a blur but then like and I don't even know how photographers do will do this, but then there's one single image that that's is still. like standing there yep. while everything else is moving around it, and it's just like, oh, that's great! Look at that. A player like D'Lo, he is that singular image that is standing there still while everything else moves around him because he is playing at his own speed. And so, one of the passes that he makes that I love is as the defense catches up. And they are now coming into the frame. He's not looking to beat the defense before the defense gets there. He's looking to beat the defense as the defense catches up 
and then starts to feel like, oh, I'm there. And then mm-hmm. you know how they can then overrun a play because yep. they're trying to get back in to it. And so he made a pass where he's, or he, the, the type of pass that he'll make is when guys run into the corners and then there's a trailer. And so it looks like he's going to push ahead to the guys that are in the corner. And then suddenly there's the guy who is filling backside trail. And then he'll throw the skip to that guy. And then that guy is seemingly wide open. It's that sort of like, like everything is moving very fast around me, but I'm playing slow. And that's also a transition play. And it's the type of transition play that the Lakers have not had in a very long time Mm -hmm. because you need to be a special type of passer and have a certain type of feel in order to make that specific read. LeBron can make it. Lonzo Ball made that play a lot. And D'Lo made that play a lot when he was with the Lakers the first time. And I've missed having that dude because the types of fast breaks that the Lakers have run the last couple of seasons. And this was true even when Dennis became the starting point guard the year after the championship is it's almost always breakneck pace. It's almost always like we're going to beat you up, up the court in order to score faster than what the defense can, can react to. But there's a beauty in that. Oh, I've let you catch up. And now you're off balance and I've caught you leaning the wrong way. And now it's the trailer guy that's open or it's the guy who is on the weak side who is now open. And he's such a good skip passer that it's like that's the specific type of pass that I just love as a guy who used to play point guard. Those skip passes, the big value of that is defensively, and this speaks to your point about taking advantage of a defense that just got set, is that it flips everybody's responsibility. And so if the ball's on the left side of the court and you're on the right side of the court, and all of a sudden the ball's on the right side of the court and you're on the right side of the court, your job is different and vice versa on the other side. You become a weak side defender. And if you're making that compromising pass initially and the team's swinging the ball while the defense's job is flipping from one side to the other, you can really find a lot of advantage in that. And so just... Having that, like, there was a play, this is this is not passing related, but it speaks to a level of command and mastery that D'Lo has that I loved about him as a 19-year-old, as a kid coming into the draft. Yeah. But it was always like, a he's great at this for a 19-year-old, and then he enters a league of 25 and 30-year-olds, and it's not, you know, comparable in that respect, but you add a little bit of time to that, and now he's 27, and now he's he has a mastery and command period. And so the play I, I wanted to talk about was like he had a uh, Herb Jones was playing ball denial on him. And this is the type of player that and I've been really curious to see how D'Lo handles a bigger athlete that can kind of envelop him because D'Lo's not a guy that is that breakneck speed c- kind of player. And there are times D where you do have to put your foot all the way down on the gas and get yep. all the way to the cup. And I've been super impressed with D'Lo's understanding of when he needs to do that, do that. And he's gotten a ton of layups off of things like that. But anyway, Herb Jones is ball pressuring in the backcourt. We inbound it to uh, to someone else. I forget who. And Jones is face guarding D'Lo for almost the entire play. And then uh, we get the ball up court. D'Lo like, puts his weight on him and V cuts off of him, gets the ball at half court, and Jones presses up on him. And he just rips through, draws a foul on Jones, side out. And like he ripped through. And before he was done with the rip through, he was passing the ball to the ref because he knew like, you're doing this to me, then I'm going to do this to you. This is what beats that. And he has a certain understanding strategically of 
how to beat what now in a way where basketball looks very easy to him. And so I just uh, want to give D'Lo's passing and just sort of understanding of the game a bit of a, a shout out. One last thing about that understanding that you're talking about is because he's left-handed, he gets to things that like there's a certain unorthodoxy to his style. Right. And, and so and everyone always expects left handers to go left and D'Lo goes left a lot. And I've been very interested in the way that the Lakers are running pick and rolls now with a left handed player as a lead initiator versus a right handed yeah. player. Yeah. D'Lo goes left a ton out of pick pick and rolls and he's been finishing a ton. It's why he's been getting his late. He's been getting a lot of layups because he's been going strong hand a ton. Right. But he ran. They set up. So normally the Lakers run this action with AD in the left-hand corner, and then Malik Beasley will set a screen for AD, and AD will roll in to, and he'll be looking for a curl in to catch the ball. When he doesn't catch, if he does not catch the ball there, it can flow into a a pick-and-roll action. And then depending on what the defense does, and defenses have been icing that play a lot, and so it's just like then it creates different angles and all of this. But that's almost always a left side of the court play. Yes, because it gets AD going middle, going to his right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. In the first half, though, they ran that action on the right-hand side of the court. And and D'Lo ended up being able to get to his right hand off of the dribble. AD did not catch the ball on the curl. He comes and sets a ball screen and D'Lo then goes down the right lane line with this right hand and he's sort of in, in a probe dribble, right? And AD circling and he's looking for the ball, but he doesn't get it. And it looks like D'Lo is going to do the Nash dribble, like the hockey escape dribble, where you go underneath the basket and you just circle all of the way around the court. So D'Lo's riding the baseline and it looks like he's going to squirt out the other side, but he doesn't. And he quick layups, a lefty layup reverse. And I was just like, it showed a level of craft and of like understanding about how to get his shot and how to utilize his specific style of game and feel. And it was just a single play, but it was super interesting to me to see them set up in that exact formation, but do it on the opposite side of the court. And D'Lo sort of dissect everything that was going on go to his weak hand finish with this strong hand on the opposite side of the cup if we're going to praise him for all the shooting and all the passing he's been in the lane so much more than what he was during his first stint with the team and those comments that he made after his acquisition about like i'm all grown up now i'm not that same Mm -hmm. kid you see that in a variety of ways and that's the stuff that's the comment that rings in my head when I see him make that specific play. It's just like, oh, no, you're not the same 20-year-old kid that got traded for Brooke Lopez all of those seasons ago. You're a different dude now, and it's just great to see him thriving the way that he is. So cool. And man, this is such a, a fun stretch. I'm so proud of how the team uh, held it down leading up to the trade deadline. I, I think that that's something that um, will probably go unnoticed. Just sometimes you just got to hold on. You're not in the best position. And for the resolution to that, to be D'Angelo Russell of all people, I just marvel at that. Every every good game that he has, man, it's, that it's D'Lo of all people is just too cool. So let's take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about an adjustment to the rotation last night. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all 
Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So D'Lo and AD's minutes have been tied together for the vast majority of the time since the trade deadline. Last night, Darvin staggered D'Lo and AD for the first time. He took a, took Vanderbilt out of the bench group and ran a three-guard group with D'Lo, uh, D'Lo, Austin, and Dennis, which has been incredible in terms of net rating. I think they're right around a plus 25, plus 30 as a trio um, alongside Rui and Wenyon. And I thought just our offense was really well served for that D. And we didn't play the zone that we were talking about yesterday. And <laughs> our bench units actually pushed the lead ahead a little bit. And so talk to me about that because we, we really zeroed in on that in yesterday's pod. Um, the adjustment to the bench unit, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on Rui, who's getting into a really nice rhythm as well. But I thought that group was way better than it's been. So just as a quick heads up, Pete, you had brought up that um, Austin, Dennis, and D'Lo trio. In 46 minutes together, they have a plus 42.4 net rating. Offensive rating is 136 and defensive ratings around 94. And we'd lamented for a large part of the season, the three guard lineups, and there have been a lot of bad ones. And one of my arguments has always been like, if you're going to run the three guard lineups, make sure you get the benefit of going smaller. And that trio in particular has a ton of skill and ball handling and outside shooting, right? It's way different than like Russ and Bev and Nunn type of thing. You know what I mean? Where two of the guards are are poor to below average jump shooters. And so it's like, you're small, great, but you're not getting any of the good stuff that comes with that. That trio has really shown what you can get with that group, especially when you got two defensive bigs or just bigger type of guys at the four or five spot. Yeah. The point that you've always made is it's like, well, if you're going to be small, be able to shoot. Yes. Because you can't be small and not shoot. That don't work. It doesn't. It's a 40 something minute sample, right? Like that could change. Something could upend those numbers. Well, they're not going to be a plus 42, right? (laughs) Yeah, they're not. But the fact that they're scoring at the rate that they're scoring at, a a lot of that is based off of a sub 100 defensive rating, right? But so let's just say, even if they come back to earth defensively and they're in the 115 range, they would still be plus 20 something, Yeah. right? And so it's super interesting. Anyways, the thing that stood out to me about just the staggering in general is something that I think it it just needs needs to happen. And I was super happy to see Darwin go to that and, and just implement that as a philosophy and try it out. 
right? And the interesting thing is, too, is like when he pulled D'Lo, he didn't even do it for Dennis. Mm-hmm. That was the other thing is when he pulled out D'Lo, he put Austin in. I love and, that, though, because like Austin, if you want to keep playing the same way, Austin for D'Lo, Austin's our most similar player on the roster to D'Lo. And I love the, the fact that every minute had one of those dudes out there. Yes, yes. And so having a replacing a skill guard with a skill guard and giving Austin more like on ball reps in general, which is something that he's been getting even with Dennis in the fold, but basically sort of telling him like, we want you to do more, more of this. And in the second half, I thought you saw some of the consequences of that. Austin had a couple of like bad passes and it's almost like, wait, you're not that dude who makes these sorts of passes, but guess what? You put him on the ball. Like two, three, four times as much as he's been on the ball or that we've seen him for his entire NBA career, you're probably going to see a few more mistakes. Mm-hmm. Like we've seen caretaker Austin and now we might see a little bit of like, oh, go get it, Austin. Like yep. you got the ball in your hands. So there's going to be a bit more of that. And and I'm fine with that. I was irritated in the I, you and I both were irritated. Oh, we were in, more in, a little in, irritated. In Mike half. thinks we're insane. Well, if Mike was here, he like we would have led with that part of <laughs> like we would have led with that. Probably. That would have been yeah. the lead. Um, so, anyways, that idea though of staggering them is great. I also like. I also think it gives AD a chance to play like his normal shift, which is what he wants. Like mm-hmm. AD really. AD is such a rhythm player. Yes. I like keeping him in for like don't 10, mess 11 with it. Minutes mm-hmm. like let him play. Right. Let him like dominate a first quarter. I love it when AD has like one of those 14 point first quarters, 16 point first quarters, mm-hmm. because you're just like, oh, OK, well, this is the dude that you're going to have to deal with all night. And it sort of sets sets a tone. And I thought, yes, he did a great job of that. But in moving that idea now to the bench, I think you need that shot creation, that other guy like Dennis and Austin are great. And, and I love the sort of um, complementary style that they have of, of each other. You slot another skill shooter, shot creator guy between them, like D'Angelo Russell. And if you can survive defensively, mm-hmm. you're going to get so much scrambling on the perimeter as guys rush to close out against Austin Reeves and well, and D'Angelo Russell. And that's where you're going to find, Pete, a lot of those like swing-swing passes because Austin and D'Lo both love to make the skip pass. And if the skip pass that is that can be the first in that wheel that triggers the like, oh, first long rotation and then swing-swing, and it's just like suddenly it's right back to a guy who's shooting a wide-open three from where the ball started from originally. And I just love that idea of, no, we need one of these top sort of engines of offense on the court almost at all times. And without LeBron, that's going to need to be mm-hmm. either AD or D'Angelo. And I, I just thought that adjustment really helped buoy us during those minutes in a way that, you know, 
the the number you can look at, uh, in my opinion, to gauge that is what is Wenyon's plus minus because he's the guy that's replacing AD, and so that's the bench units right now in my view. And he'd been a lot of minus thirteens, minus fifteens, and Wenyon's been playing hard, right? It's just the groups have not been good. That that was much better last night, and so the ability to buoy the offense if we are able to survive those three guard groups to be continued on that uh, that line of thought. D want to shift focus to Rui a bit. Um, he's on a yeah. nice little streak right now. He's got, caught a nice rhythm. Every time we've talked about him on the pod, I've, I've expressed how off balance I've felt about watching him. And I've been kind of slow to really render too much judgment one way or another. And that's changed over the last week or two in that I think Bruy needs a setup guy. He's somebody that if you put him in the right positions, he's wonderful at a few aspects of the game. D, the, like the mid-range shooting is just unbelievable. Some of the shots he hit, he hits are like not role player shots at all, and he does it consistently enough off of a variety of different footworks where it's like, man, that's super valuable. And I will have longer discussions about. I actually think we have a lot of good mid range players on this team in ways that I think are going to be really helpful in the playoffs. But talk to me about Rui, man, because he plays into the importance on the defensive end too of helping that sort of group. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on both ends of the floor with him. I just like the fact that he's so offensively. First, he's been shooting the ball well, so he's not taking a bunch of threes, but he's at 41.2% on threes this month. His last uh, four games, right, so starting in Memphis, one for three, and then he went one for two against Toronto. He went two for three versus the Knicks, and he went two for three again um, against New Orleans. Uh, last four games, point point total, 17, 16, 12, and 12. Mm-hmm. Um the thing I like beyond the numbers is just him being this dude who you could just go to as a like, oh, go get us a bucket or we can isolate you or you can attack a closeout and play one on one. Mike brought up the idea after the Lakers acquired Rui that Rui can sort of play on an island at times. And I think that that can often be looked at as like a negative, like, oh, you're just out there doing your own thing. Um, But on some of these bench groups, you need him to be on an island because no one else is really doing much for him, Mm -hmm. right? And, And so he is this great release valve where you could throw it to him in the post or he just sort of makes a catch and then goes and goes into his two or three dribble pull-up game. And it's just like, okay, well you just got your team a decent mid range look and you're knocking those down on the season at like 40 in the mid forties, like 50% you're making those. And, And so that's a good shot for you. Um, so let's stop there offensively. Like, are, is this about what you expected? Like, are, are you seeing the value? Am, am I overstating the value that, that he's bringing there? Uh, he, he reminds me um, sort of of what Marcus Morris Sr. brings to the Clippers in that sort sure. of uh, 
that sort of jump shooter and can make difficult shots over the top. I think he's really found his way below the break, especially I, like from the wing on down. A lot of the great job of attacking closeouts or cutting has been off of those below the break type of positions, specifically in the corner. And then just his one dribble pull up game is just beautiful textbook like looks like a coaching video of how to shoot a one dribble pull up, yeah. you know, like it's, it, yeah, he's a really beautiful player in, in a couple as, aspects of the game and he competes defensively. Like it's, he's, he's not, you know, going to knock your socks off on defense, but he's going to compete and he has the physicality. He's not much of a vertical leaper um, and can be a little bit, he can be a little bit susceptible to smaller players beating him off of the dribble. I think he's kind of a high center of gravity type of guy in that respect. But, but man, like he's been really a, a godsend for us, and he's going to be a big part of tonight's game. D, let's talk about the Rockets before we wrap up. Lakers are going to have to, if we want to move to five hundred for the first time in a minute, we're going to have to do it without oh, LeBron man. James and Anthony Davis. Uh, in some ways, it's appropriate. We're at the Houston Rockets, who are not a good team, but beat the Celtics the other night. And a lot of times these younger teams can play a bit better as down the stretch of, of uh, the season. So talk to me about a, a night without too many bigs. Uh, Shengun is questionable for tonight, so we'll see if, if he plays. But going to be uh, interesting to make up for the AD void. Well, whether or not Shengun plays is going to be a big factor, I think, mm-hmm. in this game. If, if he does play, he's going to impact the Lakers' defensive strategy. He's going to impact just work on the glass. And there's, there's a domino effect, I think, when – like I don't want to make it seem like he's, he's this world-beating sort, sort of player, but he's in a similar mold to Sabonis. Like he's, he killed he's big, he's us. strong. He killed us in Houston last time. We won the game, but he just – he dominated uh, the Thomas Bryant matchup in ways where that was a close game almost single-handedly because of how good he was. Yeah, and he's a really good, young, interesting player. Like he he's quite the throwback sort sort of dude where it's just like throw him the ball in the post and he's a shot creator, but he's a nifty passer. Mm-hmm. He's got really good feel for the game. And I really like him, whether or not he can be the defensive player that he needs to be in order to be like a starter mm-hmm. type of guy on on a good team. That remains to be seen, but he's so young, right? But if the Lakers are going to win this game, I think Rui is going to be a big part part of things. If I had to like here, I'm going to name like five different things that I think are going to matter. And you could power rank these like like if you want, I like it. right? And, and so I think Rui's general defense and engagement on the glass is when you're in foul trouble. Mm-hmm. D'Lo having another consistent shot making night. Which Beasley do you get? And then as like a wild card, like does one or Dennis or Austin get you to 20 points? If three or more of those things work in the Lakers favor, I think that they win this game. But if it's less than that, like I think Houston's got a good shot, man. They're young. They're athletic. They can be explosive offensively. And we know that teams, young teams get up to play the Lakers, especially. And this is like, look, Houston's eliminated. There's a big E (laughs) next to their name when Mm -hmm. you look at, like when you look at the standings and teams like that, 
there's there is no pressure to do anything. It's just go out there and play as hard as you can and beat one of these teams that's trying to do something that you're unable to do anymore. And that's a tricky spot to be in second night of a back to back. And this is a bit of a hump for the team to get over. Like, and there's a lot of factors here that make me a bit uneasy about this game. So talk me out of it if you can. No, I'm uneasy about it too. And part of it is like watching the second half of last night of the degree that when we feel like we've got this uh and i i increasingly think this is like a top two pick thing in that like when you've got i I was thinking like how many times has d'angelo russell or anthony davis been up by 30 at halftime in a basketball game in their lives sure a lot right like you watch the nba that doesn't happen a ton what happened last night a team up by 35 you play lower level basketball high school and you got one of those dudes on the team or montverde academy right where you've got four or five guys like that that happens all the time and there's a certain uh mental checkout that happens in that where like we say you can't sprint every mile of a marathon right and so to me it's the number one thing is just mentality going into this game like y'all are aware you can lose this game right (laughs) you know and so long as there's the appropriate sense of fear and respect for the rockets relative to what we have with lebron and ad being out i think we'll be fine um i think that attacking the basket is going to be really uh, really important uh jabari smith has been starting at the five for them who's like a a tall two or, or three type of guy so there's a lot of opportunities in the paint for guys and it's it's an opportunity for those guys to attack and 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 get more touches than they would with ad so if we take that appropriate, I think, mentality going into the game, it's an opportunity for, you know, a certain guy to get 25, 30 points that might not normally do that. And everybody's having fun and, uh, you know, rallying around them, which that's really one of the big things I see beyond the on-court, like specifics and X's and O's and all that. D, just the vibes around the team right now are tremendous. And I think tonight's a night to further that in a different way. No, that's the hope, right? That's the hope. And if that's what happens in in this game, I won't say that I'll be surprised, but I am I am holding it in reserve mm-hmm. a little bit because um I just feel that the Lakers are small going into this game. Mm-hmm. They're small. Like, look, Wenyan Wenyon's your biggest dude. And then after that, it's like six, seven and six, eight guys again. And that's it. That's all it is. Right. And there's only two of those dudes. Really? It's just Vando and Rui. Right. Bro, like, we were playing these types of games before we had Vando and Rui too, right? Like part a big part of our record is so many of our games were like, well, <laughs> we just don't have big people. Yes. At least one of those dudes was LeBron James. Yes. Right. And so when the Lakers beat Houston in that one game that you mentioned, where TB basically didn't get any second half minutes at all, it was LeBron who ended up being like the anchor in the paint. And that dude is strong as hell. Right. Like he's he's built like a truck. It's it's so if Shangun was trying to like plow through him, you're not plowing through LeBron James, but you can plow through Vanderbilt. You can plow through Wenyan. And that's why I'm saying that like Shangun is an interesting pivot point for for this game game to me. And this is why in circling back to what you said about Rui, Rui is going to be important. 
And that conversation that Mike referenced um, a couple of weeks ago where the coaches sort of said to Rui, these are the things we need from you, mm-hmm. right? We need more rebounding. We meet, we need more defensive intensity. And mostly he's been providing both of those things. I think this is a game where beforehand you probably talk with Rui and say, like, this is a game where we need your strength. Yeah. We need you to win those ground battles. Be we big. need you to sort of push and be a big dude. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, but if you tell me that you're gonna get the requisite amount of that. And then you're going to be able to run pick and rolls with D'Angelo Russell and Dennis Schroeder and Austin Reeves and pick and pop actions with like Rui and Vando and short roll and then Wenyan dive diving hard and the potential to like turn up the pace and ball pressure against a Houston team that can be loose with the ball. Like there is some opportunity there to for me being reserved to me turning into LFG posts in the group chat. So, so I'm, I'm definitely ready to explode. And I think the fans are too, but the Lakers, they need to get this one done, man. This is a little hurdle for them to get over right here. Getting back to 500 is a big deal and they need these wins. These are the wins against the bad teams. When you look at that strength of schedule stuff, it's because of Houston. If Houston, Houston, if this one one game, we play them again too. But if if those two games weren't on the schedule, those Houston games, we'd probably be like 15th, 18th in strength of schedule, right? It makes a big difference. So you got to bank these. So we will be back tomorrow to uh, discuss it. Hopefully we're talking about a 500 Lakers team. I love that we are appreciating the games against Houston and just the everyday, day-to-day type of stuff and and focused in on it. Um, Yeah. Excited about this team. Excited to talk about them tomorrow. But until then... You've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, two one. Miss it. It's over. And shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.